0: Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Second Timothy, chapter three. As Pastor Sam said, my name is Nate. Welcome you here this morning. One of the pastors and elders here at Restoration Road Church. Uh, we are nearing the end of our study through Second Timothy, which I confess is bittersweet. Uh, It's been a great study, but I know what comes at the end of this sermon series, as do most of you, Uh, but I am encouraged and challenged uh, in this next season of ministry. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 15 is our text for today. And I would encourage you, as we're going through this, we have just a few weeks left in this sermon series, I would encourage you at least one time during this, this next few weeks to sit down and read through 2 Timothy, start to finish. It's not a very long book. It doesn't take that much. It's not a huge time investment. But I would encourage you to get the broad scope of Paul's letter here uh, to Timothy, As I was reading through 2 Timothy this week, I was reminded of a 50-foot or so long retaining wall that uh, sits at my folks' house, Um, particularly one spot in that retaining wall that has begun to deteriorate. Likely, my folks are unsure why, but I have a suspicion uh, what the cause might be. You see, as a kid, I would, I would set up either a spare tire that was laying around or grab some duct tape and, and mark out the best I could a strike zone against that wall. And I would, every Saturday or afternoon, hurl the baseball as many times as my adolescent arm would allow against that retaining wall strangely right where that hole is in, in the retaining wall. I would practice again again trying to master the use of corners and controlling the edges and, and really just try and put as much heat as I could on that baseball. Uh, I recall, like I said, many Saturdays, many afternoons spent pitching against the wall, hours invested. And the only reward that I have from that investment now, well, Besides, you know, the Little League nostalgic memories that I have, the only reward I have is my right arm pops every time I lift it above my shoulder. Uh, The only reward that I have is not much to talk about, actually. So why do I share this story It's not to confess my Little League ambitions of my childhood, but it's because Paul uses this, this idea of practicing, of rehearsing, of practicing obedience as he encourages Timothy in our text today. And the topic is way more important than just refining some athletic skill or dream of an athletic skill. In fact, what Paul will talk about is a diligent practice of godly living a topic that we refer to as discipleship. In our text today, Paul provides a list of eight characteristics that Timothy both observed and then emulated from Paul. Along with Paul's charge follows a number of implications. Timothy observing these characteristics in Paul assumes intentionality by Paul, investing in him, as well as relationship, Timothy saw what Paul did, heard what Paul said, because he was around Paul consistently. He spent time with Paul, observing his actions, listening to his words. Paul invested and modeled godly living for Timothy. Not only did Timothy observe and listen, but he apparently practiced what he saw in Paul. Well, why is this so important? Especially in the heels of the text that Mark covered last week. If you remember from last week's sermon, Paul gave a list of false followers and self-serving imposters. Now, they were in abundance. They were all around Timothy and within the church, outside of the church. And, and Paul encourages Timothy not to follow the path that they have walked on. But he encourages Timothy that we must stay on a straight path, stay on the path of obedience. And so how do we keep on the path set before us? Well, Paul gives us some practical tips as well as, as pointing our direction toward Christ and the work of the gospel in our lives. But some practical tips, he tells Timothy, first, hold tightly to the truth of Scripture. Second, follow the example of faithful saints set before us. And third, come alongside and encourage the faithful around you to carry on. There is a cultural saying in our society today, cultural idiom, if you will, of, of defining things as your truth or my truth. It's, pre, it's prevalent in our society. Many Many people declare false things about themselves, about others, or about the world around them, and then simply claim this as their indisputable truth. This destructive pattern is rampant in our culture today. In fact, if you choose to stand, on, stand firm on biblical truth, on God's revealed design for his creation, you are likely to be persecuted to varying degrees. There's many false ideas, false truths, distortions to the truth, much like Paul wrote to Timothy in the text that we reviewed last week. Distortions to the gospel. But my friends, I want to put forward to you this morning that this is nothing new. This isn't something that we are facing unique in our society. In fact, actually, an early church father, Augustine of Hippo, was quoted saying, And he was he lived in the fourth and fifth century, so just a couple hundred years after the establishment of the church, he said, if you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel you believe, but yourself. Even a hundred years after the disciples, after Jesus established the church and the work of the disciples, there were those who wanted to pick what they wanted and leave out what they didn't like. This isn't something new to our day. It's been around. But what it does is it pushes us to know the truth. If we are to follow the path set before us, we ought to know the truth. It's important for us today, as as much as it was during Augustine's time and during Paul's time, so now we must continue to follow the godly pattern established by Christ and imitated by his followers through the generations. This is what Paul addresses in our text today. So with that, let's read our our text for today, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. Paul writes this: You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. Which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing that from whom, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings." which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, the Word of God. So Paul, in contrast to the false teachers and false followers that he listed in the text we reviewed last week, Paul contrasts Timothy's behavior, Timothy's path that he is on with these false teachers and false followers. Paul makes a distinction here that that Timothy has not strayed to a path of self-exaltation like these false followers in the previous verses, which the ultimate end of this path, of their path, is destruction. But Timothy, likewise, has remained on a straight path, the one that Paul himself has walked and is even now nearing the end of the race. We'll read in a few verses Uh, ahead from our text today, Paul will say to Timothy, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Paul is seeing the finish line of his race, and he's investing in one who has run alongside him and saying, Timothy, continue down this straight path. Continue in the path that you have followed. Do not be led astray like these men that he has listed in the verses before. That are, that are focused on themselves. See, not only Paul, but other saints have run before Timothy. Others have run with him, encouraging him along the way. Paul instructs Timothy to be mindful of those investments in his life. Now, one of the authors of the Holman New Testament uh, commentary On this section is written by two authors, so I don't really know which one uh, wrote this story. uh, But it was impactful to me as as I read it. Uh, And he used this uh, his personal account as means of an illustration to help us understand or feel what Paul is is similar to what Paul is feeling. He he counts his very first foot race. He describes the moment in this six point two mile race where he, after running for some time, he describes at length. Uh, that it felt like a very long time. Uh, Again, this is his first race. After running for some time and being repeatedly passed by other runners, found himself staring at a menacing incline, a large hill in front of him. Now, he he describes struggling uh, to ignore his growing discouragement, his physical fatigue, and his growing desire to just throw in the towel and call it quits. Uh, and then he he shares this story of a time as he's looking at this hill that another runner passes him by. But instead of just continuing on, this runner pulls alongside him and invites him to run with him. This runner says, uh, "You can." It gives him words of encouragement. Speaks out words of encouragement. Tells him. Words of instruction as well. It says, lean into this hill, like lean your body forward as you're running up this hill, and and he gives him instruction. Shorten your stride, match mine, w- w- step for step. You can do this. Encouragement, instruction, alongside. And then the writer says that he somehow finds the strength when everything in him wants to to call it quits and say, this is just too long. I don't want to run anymore. He finds the strength through this encouragement to continue on. And in fact, he says, they finished the race together and even was able to pick up his pace at the end of the race and finish strong. It's a beautiful picture of what Paul is putting forward here. Something that, that we can relate to, that coming alongside, encouraging, investing, instructing. That picture of discipleship quite unlike the false teachers that Paul is contrasting Timothy with, who love not God but themselves, who love not others but money and pleasure, and who have the appearance of godliness, but ultimately they're opposing the truth, being of corrupted minds and disqualified regarding the faith. Paul encourages Timothy, like that runner coming alongside of him, stride for stride, match my step, lean into the hill, Follow this straight path that is set before you. Do not stray, Timothy, into self-centered thinking like these, but hold true. And then Paul lists eight characteristics, eight Christ-like characteristics that we're going to spend some time on this morning reviewing. He tells Timothy, that, that encourages Timothy by saying, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, his doctrine, his disciplines and his direction. And so these are things that are observable, the first three, observable as well. I mean, the whole list is observable in in Paul's life. But these first three, looking specifically at the first one, Paul says, you have followed my teaching, my doctrine, my words, those things that Paul has spoken out, have written down. Timothy has followed them, We saw earlier in this letter, chapter 1, verse 13, Paul encourages Timothy along the same line. He says, follow the pattern of sound words that you heard from me, and tells Timothy to guard that good deposit. This is the teachings of the Old Testament scripture and how they point to Christ, but ultimately, this is the gospel that Paul is proclaiming. It's the truth found in all of scripture, all 66 books of the Old and New Testament, And it is the beautiful message of salvation that Paul has been proclaiming. So it begs the question, what is this gospel that Paul has been preaching? I don't want to assume this morning that we all know exactly what that means when I use the term gospel. So very briefly, I will explain. For Paul, it meant Christ crucified. He writes to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, he says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Put very simply, the gospel is this. You and I are created in the image of God, but we are marred by the presence of sin. And the, what makes the gospel good news, if it just stopped there, that would not be very good news, not a good message. Great that we're created in the image of God, but we're marred by the presence of sin. But the good news of the gospel is that we are also redeemed and restored by the life and death of Jesus Christ. This is the message that Paul lived. This is the message that Paul experienced for himself, that redemption and restoration in his own life. And he's encouraging Timothy Allow that gospel to shape who you are, what you say, what you do, and even your purpose in life. Timothy could follow Paul's teaching because he was familiar with it. He listened. He allowed the words to shape his thinking, his worldview, more than he allowed his cultural surroundings to shape his thinking and worldview. view. makes me wonder How much is God's word shaping my and yours worldview and thinking? Good question to ask ourselves. So Paul says, you are following my words, those things that I have written and spoken. Second, he says, you are following my conduct, the deeds, those things that Paul has done If God's word is shaping you, it will be displayed through obedience to God's design. If God's word is shaping you, it will be displayed through your obedience. The outflow of the gospel at work in a believer is repentance and obedience. It doesn't mean that we obey perfectly. If that is your description of a disciple, uh, you're going to be disappointed. Other people will disappoint you. You will disappoint yourself because that is not the biblical picture of a disciple. The biblical picture of a disciple is I recognize my great need for Jesus and I will cling to him with every ounce of strength that I have and I will follow him by his grace through every ounce of strength that he gives me through his Holy Spirit. And so Paul says his deeds his conduct that was viewable to Timothy. Timothy is also following in that example. This is a a repentance and an obedience motivated by love for Christ. Paul was not perfect. Paul was well aware of his own need for Christ. As he previously wrote to Timothy in his first letter, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, Paul says this, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Praise the Lord. Of whom, this is the Apostle Paul, of whom I am the foremost. He says, hey guys, I'm, I'm in front. I'm leading this charge on my need for Jesus. But praise God he came to save sinners. That's what Paul does. He praises God. Continuing, I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Timothy has witnessed this in Paul's life. He has seen him forgive those who have betrayed him, forgive those who have hated him and persecuted him and harmed him, He has heard his words, he has seen his actions, and he is following in that path. But that's not all. The third point that Paul says is that you you have followed my aim in life. Paul's direction, Paul's purpose, the motivation behind everything that Paul does. And here, Paul is declaring that to to, to Timothy, that his purpose in life has been observed and adopted by Timothy. I think back to our last two-sermon series ago through the, through the book of Philippians, the letter of Philippians. Paul writes in Philippians 1.21, for me to live, for me to exist, Paul says, is Christ. The banner of my life is Christ. What's on my tombstone, Paul says, is Christ. That is the most important. Christ is most important. Christ is most declared, Paul says. And then he says, and to die is gain. This also begs the question, what is my and what is your aim in life? You think of aiming, I think of the first picture that comes to my mind is archery. As as you're aiming down that bullseye and your intention is to hit the center of it, nobody aims for the side, like the the small points. No one aims for something not even on the mark. You're, You're aiming to hit the middle of that mark. Paul says, my aim in life, is to bring glory to Christ, period. And again, he's contrasting this with those whose aim in life was to bring glory to themselves, comfort for themselves. And Paul says, not you, Timothy. Continue in the, on the straight path that you have seen. The one which, in Paul's heart, calling to Timothy and to all who would follow after him the heart would declare Christ is supreme. And then Paul lists a series of what I call gospel produce. He says this is what this is the fruit that comes out of my life because the gospel is at work in me, Paul says. And he says, my faith or faithfulness, my patience and love and steadfastness and and my response to the worldly circumstances. This is the fruit of the gospel, Paul says, at work in my life. And it's observable. Timothy has seen it. He has seen Paul's patience, his kindness and love. It's the fruit of the spirit produced in Paul's life. And Paul reminds Timothy not only of this fruit that he's experienced, but also of the sufferings and persecutions that he has faced. And notice three verses that, that Paul or three places that Paul lists: Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What Paul is saying here is the persecutions that I've experienced that you have witnessed, Timothy, are the hand are at the hands of your peeps. These are Timothy's, this is Timothy's hometown, home region. These are your neighbors and friends and possibly family members. We know not his immediate family members because his mother and grandmother invested in him. But these are people Timothy knew, those influencing Timothy. And Paul says, you've experienced, you've witnessed The persecution that I experienced, Paul says, even in your hometown, in your own region, among your own people. And Paul reminds Timothy how he did not join his neighbors in rejecting the truth of the gospel and in persecuting Paul, but rather he stood for the truth and received abuse alongside others for the sake of the gospel. God's hand was on Paul as Paul reminds Timothy in our text as we read that That in every circumstance, God was glorified, delivering him from the hand of his oppressor, sustaining him up to this point, to the point of Paul's departure, which God had ordained. And on this this area of persecution, Paul settles for a minute in our text, and and he gives two ideas. Essentially, what he's telling Timothy is, don't be surprised when you see these two things through the rest of your race. One, he's he's essentially in verses 12 and 13 telling Timothy, just come to expect to see these two things. If you follow the path of God's design, if you stand for biblical truth, Paul says, expect persecution. Don't be surprised by it. Now, we may not experience great persecution in, in our culture at this time. Persecution for us might be, you know hurtful words at most, but we have many brothers and sisters around the world that are experiencing great physical persecution, laying down their lives for the sake of the gospel. And it, we do well to remember them and to remember that, that we too are joined with them in this great race where the end is Christ. But Paul says, expect, come to expect that The godly will be persecuted. Those who follow God's design will see persecution. And that evil people and imposters will go from from bad to worse. Expect that you will be persecuted and expect that those who reject the truth will continue and more vehemently reject the truth. On the persecution of the godly, I mean, we should not be surprised by this even now because not only Paul's words and reminder to us, but Jesus himself told the disciples, John 15, 18 through 21, Jesus tells the disciples, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus is telling his disciples, don't be surprised. When those who reject the truth reject you also. And don't be surprised, Paul says, when you see evil people and imposters go from bad to worse. Evil people carries the the connotation of those outside. The the world is a term that's used in scriptures. Uh, But the, the term imposters carries with it the connotation of insiders. Similar to the list that Paul has listed, those inside the church that are pretenders, that are posers. There will be those who have the appearance of godliness but regress from bad to worse rather than progress into further Christ-likeness, producing spiritual fruit. Paul says, don't be surprised by this. Don't let this derail you from the race." you're on. And I love the fact that it's, it's, it's simple spiritual fruit that Paul points to being produced in his life. Galatians five twenty-two and 23 is a list of this spiritual fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Simple. Or is it? Maybe not so much. But I love the fact that it's not not signs and wonders or large ministries or long lists of converts or stadiums full of people hanging on your every word. Paul doesn't point to those things. Paul points to the simple product of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, changing us to be more and more like Jesus. It's constant, observable obedience, step after step on the straight path where the glorious finish line is Christ. And so Paul writes to Timothy in verse 14 As for you, continue. And there's a lot of encouragement in that word. Paul is saying, Timothy, you're on the right path. Though we're hitting the off-ramp of Paul's life, Timothy is to continue forward. And there's this passing of a mantle. That Paul is saying, Timothy, though my race is coming to an end, yours is not. So step after step, hold on to the truth. When you are opposed, stand firm in what you have learned. Don't be surprised by those who never really got the gospel in the first place, but sure were good at pretending. When they try to derail your ministry, when they try to distract you from following Christ, don't be surprised by that. Don't be surprised when there are those that are frustrated at your Christ-likeness and want to bring you down into the mud with them. And if, the, if it's throwing stones or hurling words, it matters not to them. Don't be surprised by that opposition. Continue forward. Press on in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Hold fast to the knowledge of the truth. Continue to follow the example you see in godly saints before you. This is one of the reasons why I love to read biographies of those saints who have gone before us. Were they perfect? No. None but Christ. But it's an example of a faithful step after step down the path. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, how from from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which is Scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul says the point of everything, the point of this race, the finish line is to be with Jesus. Why are we obedient in this life? Because we want to be more like Jesus. We don't want to be better versions of ourselves. Behavior management can help with that. That's not what this message is about. This message is about leaning into Christ, spending time with him, knowing him, hanging around with people who want nothing more than Jesus in their lives. And being that type of person ourselves. There's a card that's been uh, by the front door. You may have seen it. It's an initiative called Who's Your One? Uh, it's a, it's a, a discipleship and evangelism initiative that <clears throat> it's been a while since we've mentioned this card. I would encourage you to pick it up, <clears throat> not because the bookmark is anything amazing, but because I think it's a great initiative. I think what this initiative does for us is it's, it's a practical reminder that <clears throat> we are to be a Timothy and have a Timothy. We are to be a Paul and have a Paul. The Who's Your One initiative Ask the question in different words, but who are you running alongside? Who are you instructing to lean into these hills as, as, as those hills come in their life? Who has eyes on your life and conduct? Here's your teaching and instruction who is inspired to also aim at the same goal you are. Likewise, who is the Paul in your life, or many Pauls in your life, who fills that role? Who are those voices in your life encouraging you to shorten your stride? Your your, your stride's too long. You're you're not at a sustainable pace. You need to match my pace to continue in this race, to finish the race. Who Who is that voice in your life? When you're ready to give up, Who in your life is right alongside you with a a cup of cold water and a kind word of encouragement or a quick word of correction? We need both Paul and Timothy roles in our lives. And I encourage you this week, find a Paul and be a Paul. Find a Timothy and be a Timothy for the glory of Christ and the spread of the gospel. And hold tightly to the truth of Scripture remind yourselves of the beauty of the gospel, that it is not through our works, but it is through Christ's life and death. And he is the strength that will get us to the finish line. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Jesus, I'm grateful for your word. I'm thankful for this letter that you inspired Paul to write that is passed down through the generations. That we can read in our own language. Lord, we confess, though we can understand the words, we need your help, Holy Spirit, to teach us how this is to shape our lives. God, I pray that we would come before you humbly and confidently because of Christ. I pray that if there is anyone here this morning that does not know the power of the gospel in their own lives, Lord, I pray that you would call them to repent and believe in who you are and what you have done. God, if there, if there is anyone here this morning that has, that has strayed, and this morning's word is a, is a word of correction and, and conviction, We, Lord, help us to embrace that in humility. God, be our strength. Help us to follow hard after you in this life and to set our eyes on the life to come. God, I pray that we would would live our lives in a way that we could confidently say, follow me as I follow Christ. I confess, Lord, that's, that's terrifying. If we try and do it in our own strength, So Holy Spirit, lead us to be more like you, Jesus, to the glory of your name, amen.